0: and by isn't it? Um, I'm so thankful for you guys. If anybody has some weird notion that the pastors make this church happen, let's just throw that out the window now, okay? The only way we're going to be able to have live gatherings, the only way we're going to reach our community, the only way the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to penetrate, the hearts and minds of Colchester County is through you. We wouldn't be able to have live gatherings next week if it wasn't for you. So know my deepest appreciation, okay? And if you're watching at home, If you have a compromised immune system, if you're too far away to be able to attend, whatever the reason is, and you choose to keep watching online, we want to encourage you in this season. But would you just let these people know how thankful you are that we're going to get to have people in this room because of their dedication and commitment? Would you just type it in the chat? Thank you, volunteer team. Thank you, tech team. Thank you, band. We can't say that enough. All right, I'm sorry we didn't have Kleenex at your tables because that's something that uh, you're going to touch and (laughs) have some bacteria on it or something. But anyway, let's move right on here along. Are you ready? We'll get into it. Okay, we do have Kleenex back here if anybody needs some. That's as sappy as I'm going to get this morning, okay? Wasn't planned, that just happened. But let me ask you this, who likes to be comfortable out there? Man. You ask a question and people in the room respond. This is exciting. (laughs) I love to be comfortable. I love to be comfortable. You know what? Whenever I go to the dentist, one of the most uncomfortable things, I lay down in the chair and I'm a taller guy, right? I don't know what the camera makes it look like, but we're talking like 6'3", right guys? (laughs) It's a running joke because they got to fit my head in the camera. 6'4". Let's go with 6'4". It sounds better. Two inches of hair, we, yep. <laughs> when I go to the dentist's office and I lay down in the chair, they say, oh, we got to do some adjustments here. We got to lean you back. We got to raise the chair up. We got to extend the feet. We got to extend the headrest. We want you to be comfortable, right? So that we can really make you uncomfortable after that. But has anybody ever slept in a yurt? A yurt. This, this is a picture of a yurt right here. It's like a a round wooden structure, and it's wrapped in canvas. It's like half tent, half cabin. Okay, you can see the picture here. (laughs) When did Canada celebrate 150 years? Was that 2017? Is that right? 2017. Back in 2017, all the national parks across Canada were giving out free park passes that year. You could go with your family. They had extra activities, such as winter camping at Fundy National Park. Now, myself and a few guys from our church in New Brunswick, we thought, this is a guy's outing. We have to do this, okay? So we looked up on the website, perfect for winter camping. It's got insulation around the walls. It has a propane stove inside. It'll be great. Perfect. So we booked it for the dead middle of winter. We're talking like mid-warch, as cold as it gets. It's like negative 30 degrees outside. And this is what it looks like inside. The wooden structure, it's got the canvas over the top. You can see the top has a dome, so you can see the stars at night and the clouds. You can see the sunrise. Really cool spot. So my friend Nate and myself, we arrived first. And we were told they're going to have the temperature set, and it will be up to temperature by your arrival. (laughs) So we stepped inside, and it was like, I kid you not, three degrees Celsius in there like just above freezing. So we went to the thermostat on the wall. It's set. We went to the propane stove. It's got fire inside. They must, they must have forgot. They must have set it up late. We'll go for a hike, and then we'll come back, and by then it'll be all warm and toasty, right? So we go for a hike from headquarters, campground, in Funny National down to the river, back up. One of those snowy ones on a cold day. You get snow down your back in your boots. Let's get into this nice warm yurt, and we'll be all warmed up. Here's how cold it was. This, this is my beard, a little, little bigger back then. It's frozen, and uh, I've got my nose drippings frozen there, too. What would you call, the, would you call those snot Okay, we won't go any further with that. But we got back to the yurt, and I kid you not, it was three degrees Celsius in there. We got inside and we thought, oh, this just isn't going to work. The other guys show up. I think we had pizza that night. We played games. We hung out together. It's not warming up. I think we got it up to a balmy five degrees Celsius with our body heat in there. Like, seriously, we were having dance parties, working out, like trying to get the temperature up in there, and it just wouldn't come up. So, we called the emergency hotline at Funday National Park. And one of their park rangers, I guess you called him, he shows up about an hour later. The woman on the phone assured us, we're sorry for your inconvenience, we'll get it figured out, maybe there's an issue with your propane stove. So he shows up, knocks on the door, he steps inside. I'll never forget this. He's got his full snowsuit on. He's got the snow pants on, the big boots, the big gloves, the big hat. He steps inside. We have a little conversation. Here's what he says It's comfortable. It's comfortable. He just just keeps shrugging his shoulders. It's comfortable. It's comfortable, which is now an inside joke between me and my friends who were there that weekend. But it was anything from comfortable. This is how we slept in our full snowsuits, in our sleeping bags doubled up, which is awkward, but we needed the body heat. I slept, this is me, with my my, uh, backpack under my head. And I kid you not, in the middle of the night, it was so cold, I slid my head into the backpack and my hands into the backpack and tried to keep my hands warm with my breath. I couldn't find my gloves. I don't know where they were. But it was terrible. It was anything but comfortable. And I have never disagreed with somebody on the definition of a word before in my life. If that's what he thinks is comfortable, I would love to see how his family exists in their home. Five degrees Celsius. So we're talking about being uncomfortable today. Here's the bottom line of the whole message. Do we value commitment beyond comfort? When things get uncomfortable, is it enough to challenge our commitment? Because things have gotten really uncomfortable the last six and a half months, wouldn't you say? John chapter 6. We've looked at John chapter 6 so many times, I think I have it memorized by now. But we're going to be in John chapter 6. We've talked about the feeding of the 5,000 before. You remember Mark Taylor was here from Mount Traber Bible Camp, and he taught on the feeding of the 5,000. I referenced it the week before, I think Steve referenced it the week after. We've talked about the feeding of the 5,000 so many times. The disciples are tired. The day's getting long. Jesus, send the crowds into the villages that they can buy food and get lodging for the night, and then we'll continue tomorrow. Jesus says, you feed them. (laughs) They find a little boy with a lunch. I think it was five loaves and two fish. Jesus takes that little boy's lunch. He holds it up to heaven. He blesses it. He thanks God. He breaks it, He has all the people sit down, and it's enough food to feed 5,000 men, not to mention women and children, and then the disciples each collect a basket full of food for each disciple, 12 baskets full. Now, I don't know about you, but nothing shouts comfort to me like leftovers, right? The day after Thanksgiving, Boxing Day, you open the fridge, there's stuffing in there, there's gravy, you put it in the microwave, you coat everything in gravy, you sit down on the couch in front of the game, the company has left, it's just you in your sweatpants eating leftovers. You can't get more comfortable than that. You think about this crowd of 5,000, Jesus invites them to lay down because the Bible says there was much grass in that place. Doesn't that sound nice? It's by the Sea of Galilee. Look up the Sea of Galilee on Google Maps. You can take a tour of the life of Jesus, a virtual tour on Google Maps right now. It's pretty cool. But there are palm trees, right? They're laying down in the grass. Jesus is feeding them. It's like a picnic, free food. These people probably have never eaten until they were that satisfied before in their life. And there's leftovers. You know, it's pretty easy to follow Jesus when the experience is comforting like that, isn't it? We just sang, he's the good shepherd who leads us in the grassy meadow. beside still waters, he restores my soul. Doesn't that feel good? Don't you want to follow Jesus when circumstances are like that? But then as the story goes, things get a little rougher, don't they? We'll we'll touch on that in a moment, but let's dig into the scripture here. John chapter 6, verse 15. Can everybody in the room see this? Does this work? All right. It is so great having people in the room. John chapter 6 and verse 15. Jesus, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Any leader who's going to give us a free meal has our vote, right? We're going to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus had no intention of starting a revolution Of starting a political revolt, a military exchange. Jesus had no intention of getting those people to fight against that oppressive Roman government. And it was a very oppressive government in that day. Jesus wasn't saying, hey, look, look at all this free food. Look at what I can do for you. Do I have your vote come this fall? That's not what he's saying. That's not his intention. This whole sermon series that we're digging into is called The End of the Beginning. And it's Jesus' final days of ministry as he's coming up to the cross. These are Jesus' final statements as we get into the passion of Christ, the week of the passion as he's making his way to the cross, to the final destination. Or was it final? Or was it just the end of the beginning? That's our sermon series. And Jesus in no way is intending to lead a political revolt against the oppressive roman government think about every time that jesus was faced with the government think about the christmas story what did mary and joseph do <laughs> a nine-month pregnant woman had to sit on a donkey and travel to bethlehem why for tax purposes for registration purposes think about when jesus was asked uh, do you pay taxes to caesar Jesus said, give me a coin. Whose inscription is on this? Is it Caesar? Well, if it's Caesar's, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And they couldn't challenge him on it. And then he was coming along the road. They asked him to pay a toll. So he said, I don't know if it was Peter or not. Peter, pull out your fishing rod. Pull the fish in from the, the brook next to the road, I guess. And in the fish's mouth is a coin enough to pay their toll and to move forward. Think about Jesus as he stands on trial as a sheep before his shearers are silent, so he opened not his mouth. And he went to the cross. Jesus' intention was not to lead a military political revolt, he wasn't giving them free food to try and get their vote. But what about the crowd? Jesus is up on the mountain, he's praying. He sees the disciples in the storm on the sea. You remember that story? We preached it just a matter of weeks ago. He walks out to them on the sea. He comforts them in the middle of their struggle, claiming to be, I am God in the flesh. Then they make their way to the other side. The crowd is left on the beach. Verse 22, John chapter 6. Now it's the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Now they're very perceptive, aren't they? Jesus, we saw you go up the mountain. We saw your disciples get in the only boat that's there and travel across the sea. Now where's Jesus? Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Word was spreading. You feed 5,000 people miraculously with a little boy's lunch, people are going to find out. They get in their boats. Uh, Tiberias is a place along the coast of the Sea of Galilee. Sometimes you hear the Sea of Galilee referred to as the Sea of Tiberias. It's the same region. So they're sailing across the same body of water in hopes to see Jesus and see this miracle that they've heard about. Verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got into the boats, went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. If Jesus isn't here, and we saw his disciples get into the boat and go to the other side, maybe we'll find him if we find his disciples. Maybe they went back to his home base, Capernaum, where his early days of ministry were based out of. If we go back there, maybe we'll find Jesus. So they get in their boats, and they are seeking Jesus. Now think about that term for a moment, seeking. They're not really committed yet, are they? But they're curious. They're intrigued, but they're not invested. They're kind of on the fence. They've got one foot with the people of the way, as they're referred to, Jesus' followers, and they've got the other foot in traditional Jewish customs, Roman government, the customs and culture of their day. They haven't really made a commitment yet. They're not sure. They're seeking Jesus. Maybe you've heard the term seeker sensitive. I think it's misused and confused and applied to the church in all different sorts of weird ways. But how did Jesus treat people who are curious, who are intrigued, who weren't yet committed, hadn't yet made a decision, but wanted to know more? Did he teach them? Yes. Did he heal them? Many of them, yeah. Did he feed them? 5,000 of them, we just talked about it. Did he water down the truth so it would be easier for them to digest? Did he make it more comfortable for them? Well, let's talk about that part right there. They're seeking Jesus. We come to verse 25. When they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, in Capernaum, Jesus is teaching in a synagogue now, as we'll find out at the end of the chapter. They said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, which means honorable teacher. Now, we know Jesus is the master teacher. It goes way beyond honorable, okay? They don't fully understand Jesus' identity. They're seeking. They're intrigued. They're curious. Rabbi, when did you come here? We saw your disciples go. We know there was only one boat, and it wasn't there this morning. We saw you go up to the mountain. How did you get here so fast? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, Veritas, veritas, which means truth, truth. What he's about to say is absolute truth. Repetition brings significance. So when he says truth, truth, you need to know that what I'm about to say is the truth. I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Man, what could cut deeper than that? Verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Man, that would cut deep, wouldn't it? You guys just want to find me because you want another free meal. Wouldn't that hurt? Oh, you just came back to church this week because we gave free chicken and taters last week. We would never say that. That is so awkward. But Jesus says, you're just chasing me down today because of the food that I gave you yesterday. Don't seek the food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life. You've seen pictures of the pyramids. Has anybody been to Egypt and actually seen the pyramids? No? Okay. The Sphinx, all those great pharaohs who were buried. What were they buried with? Food. Food servants all their treasure right we've seen pictures we've read books we've watched documentaries these egyptian pharaohs have all their stuff all their army with them all their treasure all of the stuff that they want to take into the next life but the bible teaches otherwise doesn't it the bible says lay your treasures up in in heaven Don't store your treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Why do we put so much value on stuff? Have you ever wondered that? I put so much value on stuff. It's crazy. You know, this is going to be a tough truth for many of us. Do I love the temporal, perishable things more than... The imperishable, eternal things God, His Word, His people. Jesus says, You're just following me for the free food. You don't really want me. You don't really want to commit your life to me. You don't really want to repent from your sins, forsake all, and follow me. You're just in it for the free food. You're in it for the handouts. You're in it for the benefits. (laughs) Is it possible to seek the benefits? that Jesus offers instead of seeking Jesus himself? It's such an easy little twist from the true gospel, isn't it? Do we seek the benefits that Jesus brings us more than we actually seek Jesus himself? Jesus, thank you for your salvation. Jesus, thank you for being a friend who sticks closer than a brother and listening to me in my time of need. Jesus, thank you for giving me my daily bread. And we start looking at it as friends with benefits. I know that's a provocative statement, and I use that because Jesus is about to get a lot more provocative. Are we in it for a relationship, or are we in it for the benefits that come with that relationship? You know, it's almost like a dating couple that moves in together and has all of the surface-level benefits of marriage, but there's no commitment. We just appreciate the benefits that Jesus offers, without having the commitment to Jesus himself. Do we seek the benefits Jesus brings, or do we seek Jesus himself? Jesus calls us higher. He's calling these people higher. Don't spend your life on free food. Don't spend your life on handouts. Spend your life on me. Spend your life on real, lasting satisfaction. Food is just imagery for the satisfaction and the hunger of their inner person, their very souls. Why would you waste your, food on, your, waste your life on food that's just going to mold in your bread box on your counter a week later? Why wouldn't you spend your life on something that lasts into eternity? Look at verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? This is such a typical response, isn't it? Yeah, Jesus, you're right. I want that. So what can I do to earn it? How can I work to receive it? How much time do I have to put in? How many good deeds? How much money do I have to give to the church? How good do I have to be before you give it to me? Isn't that a typical response? Jesus says in verse 29, Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Praise God. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You can't work for it. It's by the grace of God that we are saved, not of works, so that no one can boast. The salvation, the satisfaction, the answer to the longing in our hearts that only Jesus provides, can only be brought in through faith, through belief, through trust. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't pay enough money to get it. You can't be enough good person. You can't attend church enough. All of a sudden you're in. It's through faith. It's through belief. And Jesus makes it clear. You guys can't work for this food that I'm talking about. It's only through faith. Verse 30. So they said to him, well then, if it's just through faith, what sign do you do that we may see and then believe you? What work do you perform? So, You told us we can't fight for free handouts, so we offered to work for it. Now you're saying we have to have faith for it, so what sign are you going to do that we have faith? You know, if I was Jesus in this moment, which, praise God, I'm not, for everybody's sake, on the face of the entire planet, I'd want to say, do you guys remember, oh, just came to my mind. Do you remember that one time where I fed 5,000 of you And your wives and your children with five loaves and two fish. Do you remember that time? Oh, yeah. It was yesterday. Right? Oh, hey, by the way, you're confused as to how I got to this side of the lake (laughs) because my disciples took the boat and I wasn't on the boat and you don't know how I got here. Well, let's come down to the shore and I'll give you a demonstration. Right? And just, oh, I just want to show them. Do you know what Jesus says? Verse 31. They respond. They have a little more to say. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now they're tied up in the Old Testament. The Passover is about to happen in Jerusalem. They're thinking about their forefathers. They're thinking about Moses. They're thinking about freedom from oppression in Egypt. They're thinking about the wilderness wanderings. When manna appeared on the ground. Do you know what manna means? What is it? What is it? They didn't even know what it was. So they called it, what is it? Manna. And it was just bread that appeared on the ground. Do you remember the rules with that bread? You only store enough for one day. Because what happened the next day? Perished. It molded. Who wants to eat moldy bread? Ooh. But on Friday, because the Sabbath was the next day, Saturday, the day of rest, that bread would last two days. Miraculous. And they said, look, you're talking about miraculous bread. Well, let's point out some miraculous bread from the Old Testament, manna. Are you talking about manna? Look at what Jesus says. Truly, truly, again, I love this statement. He's saying, look, here's some truth talk right here. Pay attention. I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. Don't worship your forefathers. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven, not just what is it, manna. This stuff that goes bad the next day, but the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Man, it's good to have people in the room. Little little slow this morning, but it's good to have people in the room, right? Is that okay to say? Jesus gives life to the world. Jesus is claiming to be the true and living bread sent down from heaven from the Father to be life for the world. What does bread give you? Gives you strength, gives you sustenance, gives you life, right? What does water give you? You can only go what 3 to 5 days and then you're done if you don't have water. Water gives you life. If you're in a survival situation, water and food. When we were at that yurt, we were thankful to have water and food. Water preserves your life. Bread preserves your life. But Jesus says, look, I'm not just preserving your life. I'm giving you real, lasting life, satisfaction. I love this picture. So they said to him, sir, give us some bread. What are you waiting for? Give us this bread always. You're talking about bread that never goes bad? How great would that be? We had a a little campfire last night and cooked hot dogs. And we pulled the bread out of the freezer for the hot dog buns. And you know, hot dog buns, marshmallows, those are one of those things you have for the duration of the summer and then you never look at again through the course of the year, at least in my household. We never talk about marshmallows until it's campfire season. So we pulled these hot dog buns out of the freezer, the last bag from the summer. They've come out of the freezer, they've gone into the freezer, they've come out of the freezer... They had gone into the freezer. Last night they came out of the freezer again and they did not go back into the freezer because, oh, you know what I'm saying? And they're saying, look, you've got bread that never goes bad. If you would just give us loaves of this bread, we could just have it on our counter. Man, an agrarian culture where we all have farms and livestock and we have to go pick our food when we want to eat it. We don't have freezers. We don't have fridges. When we want food, we have to go get it. There's no superstore down the road. We've got to actually go get it. There's no Sobeys warehouse down in DeBert where we can get a shipment. We have to physically go out and forage for our food, which is our life. And you're telling us there's food that we can have in our house that we never have to go out again. We can just sit at home and eat this food. Give us this bread always. Doesn't this sound like Jesus in John chapter four, just two chapters earlier as he's talking to the woman at the well, right? And he says, would you give me a drink? And he says, if you knew who it was who asked you for a drink, then you would ask for the living water that only I provide. I am the living water. He who drinks from me will never thirst again. And the woman talks about her father Jacob and the well, and she's kind of confused, and she's going back to the Old Testament. This sounds like that conversation. These people are still thinking Arby's. They've got food on the brain. Does anybody here get hangry? like hungry, angry, like your stomach starts to grumble, so you start to grumble. <laughs> I've got that really bad. I think it's a medical condition, for sure. My wife points it out once in a while, you know, you just need to get a snack. Get, get a Snickers, right? Do you remember that commercial? Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I love those statements through the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. There's the story of the woman at the well right there in one statement. Not hunger. Never thirst. Not hunger. Never thirst. Now, let's have a little conversation. How many times do you think about food and drink on the course of a day? Every 10 minutes. Every 10 minutes, yeah. Okay, let's just say... Breakfast, lunch, and supper. There's three right there, obviously, right? And let's say coffee time, tea time, and evening snack time. There's another three. So let's say six. Let's set the bar really low. I've already looked in my fridge three times this morning, so the bar's a lot higher, (laughs) let me tell you. But let's just say six times my body tells me, you need some food, you need some water. How many times does your inner person grumble for God on a daily basis. There's nothing magical about the number of six, okay? But is it six times? Is it six times a day that you're, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for the true God, the living God? That's a challenge for me. I gotta say, a lot of days, no. I think about food and I think about drink. I think about making my coffee, I think about frying my eggs, sausages, I just lost the whole room right there. A lot more than I think about how my soul longs and craves for the living and true God. We see this imagery a lot through the Bible. You remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness and the devil says, look at these rocks, you're the son of God, turn them into bread. And Jesus responds with scripture, he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Well, Jesus is the word that proceeded from the mouth of God, John 1.1. Verse 41, moving right along here. So the Jews grumbled, just like my stomach grumbles every Sunday thinking about lunch. I don't know what it is. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They saw this as a messianic claim. Jesus, you're claiming to come from heaven. You're claiming to be the Messiah. And they started grumbling about it amongst themselves. So they said, is is this not Jesus? We've talked about this before. Look at how commonplace these statements are. Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, is not his wood shop just down the road in Nazareth, whose father and mother, we know them, right? And this is just Jesus. I remember Jesus standing at the bus stop on the corner, waiting for the bus, wearing his mask. Different context, I get that. I don't think they had masks back then. I don't know about school buses. How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? This is just Jesus. Jesus answered them and said, do not grumble among yourselves. If I could hang out on this point for just a moment. Have you ever gotten to a positive destination through grumbling? (laughs) Have you noticed that? What toxic conversations, man, do we allow and do we participate in? Isn't it terrible? Especially in our modern day with social media, with the news, with everybody's different opinion about everything we see going on. It's so easy to engage in those conversations. Do you know what happens? When I have a situation or a circumstance or see something on the news that frustrates me, my natural person wants to go to the next person and say, do you know what I'm frustrated about? Oh, listen to this. Do you know what I heard? Do you know what that person said? Do you know what Jesus claimed to be? Let's talk about this. Do you know the frustration that I experienced when I first heard that circumstance, situation, news statement is at this level. After I've chewed it over with somebody and expressed my frustration, it's at this level, isn't it? And then I talk to the next person. Oh, but Jesus says, do not grumble among yourselves. Do you ever pick and choose your audience because you know how they're going to react to what you say? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. In New Brunswick, at our church there, um, we have a beautiful lady of God called Wendy. And she is the most positive, optimistic, smiley, cheerful, cup half full sort of lady. You know when you talk to her, she's going to encourage your spirit in the right direction. If I'm frustrated or grumbling, I don't want to go to people like that. I don't want to be encouraged. I don't want them to to chastise me, to correct me, to encourage me in the right direction. I want to go to my people who I know are going to be frustrated with me, right? Have you ever been so frustrated about something? You go talk to somebody and they're like, well, did you ever consider, did you ever give the benefit of the doubt? And it's just like, oh, why did I talk to you, right? And even giving this little demonstration makes my spirit feel like, oh. So do you know what I did this week? Man, man frustrated just thinking through this protocol and how it's all going to work and why do we have to do this and how are we going to handle these conversations I have to admit to you to my shame that for the first time in a long time I got down on my hands and knees and I just I just grumbled to God (laughs) do you ever pray like that God Why is this so hard? Why is this so difficult? This doesn't make sense. Why do we have to do this? This is, it's frustrating, God. You just leave it to God. Do you know what it felt like when I stood up? (laughs) It just felt like that grumble was left in the lap of my father. Do you know that? All right, enough of a rant. Grumbling just is a downward cycle. Toxic conversations. Let's not let it happen. Let's not be people known for grumbling, but let's encourage one another. Jesus says in verse 47, truly, truly, this is a true statement right here. I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And then here it is. I am the bread of life. There's a memory verse for you this week. John chapter six, verse 48. I was looking at John as I said, John, I had this little moment. It's great to have people in the room. I am the bread of life. Here's Jesus claiming right out front, right out in the open, I am the bread of life. Verse 49. Let's talk about the manna. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. Guess what? (laughs) They died. Right? This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Jesus is getting... he's getting a little uncomfortable with his statements here. You know, this is the same conversation with the woman at the well. Drink this living water and you will never thirst again. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. You can't get around that statement. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Everybody just say flesh for a moment. Isn't that a gross word? Oh, flesh. I remember watching, um, I don't know if it was King Arthur, Lancelot, whatever, but they talked about a pound of flesh as the punishment for something. And I remember thinking, that is so disgusting. And just every time I hear the word flesh, I picture that pound of flesh. (laughs) Just gross. These people standing here, hearing Jesus say this, okay, Jesus, this is getting a little uncomfortable right? You noticed in the Good News segment with Alex and April, the kids' version of this, they don't talk about the flesh part. It's a little X-rated for kids, okay? But Jesus keeps going. The Jews then disputed among themselves. They've gone from grumbling to disputing. Now they're arguing about all their grumblings, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They took this literally. Jesus, you literally want us to eat you? think about that. You know, Christians in the early church were persecuted because people outside the church believed that this was something that Christians believed and practiced. Eating human flesh. Did you ever think you'd hear this conversation from the stage of your your local evangelical church? You know, if you're watching online and this is your first Sunday, (laughs) we're not cannibals. We're not. I promise. Uh, Would you take a moment, fill out the connect card. We would love to get in touch with you. These people are freaking out. Jesus, this is so beyond uncomfortable, okay? So Jesus, because Jesus never backs down from a tough conversation. Have you ever noticed that? He just keeps on going. You know, if I was Jesus, I would want to say, oh, you thought I literally meant my flesh. Well, let me correct. This is actually what I meant to say, and I would do some backing up because that's my nature. Jesus presses in front in forward here we go verse 53 so jesus said to them truly truly i say to you unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and we're adding another one here drink his blood okay now we're talking about vampires (laughs) (laughs) you have no life in you Now let me give you some Old Testament context. There was a command, don't eat flesh with blood in it because in the blood is the life. The life of the animal is in its blood. So you can't drink the blood because then you might think that that's what's giving you life. You wouldn't rest and rely on God who is your true source of life. Jesus is saying, my blood, my broken body is your true life. He presses into this conversation further. If you do not eat my flesh, if you do not drink my blood, you have no life in you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You have to keep in mind that the Passover is coming up. It's literally coming up in Jerusalem in just a matter of days and weeks. These people are focused on the Passover. Many of them may be traveling to Jerusalem as this is happening to prepare for the Passover. The Passover is the festival, the Jewish festival and feast of when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And that final plague was the death angel as it passed over. And in order to protect their household, to protect their oldest firstborn male in the household, they had to kill a spotted lamb, they had to cook the remains and have it for the meal but they had to take the blood of that lamb and put it over the doorposts and the lintels and then the death angel would pass over that's Passover they're about to celebrate the Passover where they remember the spotless lamb slain to cover people from sin Jesus is saying I am that spotless lamb who's slain to not only cover from sin but to cleanse remove forgive and to give you new life I am the life whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood. Now, where are we at here? Verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. The Jews knew this. They knew the picture of the Passover feast. But yet they were, they were still thinking literally. They were really struggling with this point when many of his disciples heard it they said this is a hard saying who can listen to it how are people supposed to understand maybe people who don't have a Jewish context maybe people who don't understand the Passover maybe people who don't understand the sacrificial system how are they going to understand your invitation your command to eat your flesh and drink your blood that's just so countercultural to everything we believe Jesus This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? So they're offended, they're grumbling, and they're finding his teaching very uncomfortable and difficult. Jesus pulls no punches. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. If I was Jesus, I'd be really tempted to clarify my statements and say, just for those of you who didn't catch, this is just a picture. Um, I'm going to be instituting the Lord's table with my disciples, and it's going to be uh, a remembrance, a ceremony, remembering my broken body and shed blood, because I'm about to go to the cross in just a matter of days, weeks. I will be at the cross. I will literally break my body, and I will shed my blood for you, for the forgiveness of sins. Let me just clarify everything I just said. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't get on his knees and beg and plead. He lets his disciples go. He doesn't fight for their vote in some political election. He lets them go. Because the level of discomfort trumped their level of commitment. I wonder how many of us, that, that's a challenging word to you sitting at home, And you're thinking, do I I really want to risk coming to a live gathering? You know, I've I've tried to read the Bible lately, and it's really confusing, so I haven't picked it up in a month. You know, I, I try and pray, but I just get so distracted, and sometimes I fall asleep. I've tried to tell my coworkers about Jesus, but it's just so awkward and embarrassing, and I just get so anxious, I've just turned it into a joke. Does the level of discomfort trump your level of commitment? Because these are uncomfortable days. For the first time in a long time, I've had to take a deep look into my level of comfort and discomfort and whether or not that's become an idol in my life. And let me tell you, not having a home of your own and having all of your earthly possessions in a shipping container in Truro for 11 months, that makes you think, what is really important to me? Is it all that stuff in boxes in a steel container that I haven't seen in a year? What's really important? Does the level of discomfort trump your level of commitment? I think this is a season where in the midst of discomfort, in the midst of itchy masks that fog up our glasses, in the midst of pre-registering for a church service, in the midst of shootings, in the midst of explosion on a propane truck in DeBert, I mean in the midst of all of these things and these uncomfortable experiences in our hometown and in our community, I think this is a season for us to fortify and really dig deep and make sure that we are founded on the rock that will stand the test of time. And that we are not holding to these comfortable pleasures that come along with being a Christian community, but we are holding to Jesus himself. We're not in it for the benefits of the relationship, but we're in it for the relationship itself. Let me end with this word. Peter is the spokesman for the disciples. He's often the one to speak up and to shout out, and he takes his turn to jump up. Jesus asked them a really powerful question, and I want you to imagine that Jesus is asking you this today too. Jesus said to the 12, his followers, his closest friends, the one who he'd been with for three years, three and a half years, Do you want to go away as well? Jesus isn't begging them to stay. He's not groveling on the ground. He's not pleading with them. He's not promising them more food. He's not promising them comfort. He's not promising them any physical bliss in the future other than the gift of heaven. Peter speaks up for the group. I love this. Let's end with this. Verse 68, John chapter 6, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Have you noticed there is nowhere else in pop culture, on the face of the planet, in government, in politics, in medicine, where you can put your faith and trust right now. The world's changing. Everything's unsettled. People are restless in their spirit. People are looking for hope. People are looking for direction. People are wondering, what is the truth? If I don't listen to the news, I'm uninformed. If I do listen to the news, I'm misinformed. How do I get truth? And Peter says, where else are we going to go? What other mission is there? What other purpose is there? What other thing on the face of this planet is worth selling our lives out for than for you, Jesus? To whom else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. To whom else will we go? Jesus is not your last resort. He's the only way, the only truth, and the only life. In this season, would we fortify and stand on the rock? Say, Jesus, whatever comes, you are my foundation. You are my strong refuge in the time of trouble, and I will run in and be safe. It's you, Jesus. It's you. It's not the things you offer. It's you, Jesus. No matter how uncomfortable things get, because I can guarantee you, things are going to get more uncomfortable. If you think having to wear a mask, register for church, and keep six feet apart is uncomfortable, who, boy. Let's get ready. Let's get fortified. Let's stand In Jesus and in him alone, because he's the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity to open your word this morning. God, I thank you so much for these dear folks, for having people in the room. I thank you for our volunteers. God, I thank you for those who are watching online at home, or will be watching later this week in coffee shops, um, on their lunch break, whatever the case might be. God, we thank you so much that we have all these avenues and ways of communication. We thank you for technology. God, we pray for all the uncomfortable things, all the things we're not used to, this new normal that we keep talking about. God, may that just help to fortify our commitment to you. Because where else would we go? Who else would we follow? What other words of truth, what other mission is worth spending our lives and staking our claims upon? God, we thank you for who you are today. God, I pray for our first live gathering next week where we'll be inviting folks from home. God, I pray that you would guide and direct, that you would help us to work out any kinks that we need to. God, that this would be an opportunity for people who may not have been able to engage when it was just online to engage. Father, we thank you so much for our government, for how they support us, how they're available on the phone. We've been able to chat with them to work through some of this stuff that they are supporting churches in these days and allowing us to gather. God, we thank you for a government like that. I pray for areas around the world where there is real, intense, difficult persecution, where they can't meet, where just to speak your name or to call themselves Christians is fear of their lives, their family, their household, their children. Oh God, I pray for those areas of the world, Father. God, thank you for your kindness, your grace, your mercy towards us. In Jesus' name, amen.